0: What a privilege uh, it is that we get to do this, isn't it? Isn't it awesome that we get to get together and celebrate Easter, celebrate what Jesus has done for us as a family uh, across all of our locations. I wasn't, obviously, I don't know how worship was at your location uh, this morning, But I hope it was loud, and I hope it was energetic, and I hope it was enthusiastic, and I hope that it was every bit worthy of the name worship. It was every bit worthy of celebrating the bigness and the awesomeness of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ at Easter time. Um, and yet I know as we... You know, gathered this morning in our three locations, I know that there are folks who are among us, folks who joined us this morning, who didn't come feeling like celebrating, who weren't in the mood to celebrate, or maybe didn't even feel like there was anything to celebrate. I know that there are people who came this morning With heavy stuff on their shoulders. Walking through. Maybe you can call it a season of darkness. Even beginning to wonder where God is. In the midst of everything that you're going through right now. And if that's you this morning. If that's how you came today. There's two things I want to say to you. Number one. I assure you that you are not alone. And number two. You are what Easter is for. See, when you read the story of Easter, starting in in John chapter 20, starting in verse 1, what you discover is that Easter is exactly about people living through seasons of darkness in their life. In John chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, went to the tomb. Jesus had died two days earlier on the Friday in the afternoon. In fact, Jesus had died only a few hours before the beginning of the Sabbath at 6 p.m. on Friday afternoon. And with only a few hours between Jesus' death and the beginning of the Sabbath, there wasn't really a lot of time to adequately or properly prepare his body for a, a proper Jewish Burial, because of course no work could be done on the Sabbath, including that of embalming a corpse. And so on Friday afternoon, a couple of Jesus' close friends and followers, uh, men of means, gathered together and they quickly procured the embalming spices they needed, the linen sheets that they would use to wrap Jesus' body and made hurried preparations and then laid him in a nearby cave tomb that was owned by one of them just to get the basics done before the Sabbath began. That's why Mary Magdalene was coming early on the first day of the week while it was still dark to the tomb. See, Mary had witnessed the rushed preparations of Jesus' burial and had made a commitment to herself that at the first moment that it was possible after the Sabbath to be at the tomb, she would go both to finish Jesus' burial preparations and to pay her final respects to her master and rabbi and savior and friend. But coming to the tomb that Sunday morning, Mary's life is in a dark place. You see, Mary had been a follower of Jesus right from the earliest days of Jesus' public life and ministry in the province of Galilee where they were both from. In fact, the first time Mary had met Jesus, she experienced his rescuing power in her life. The Bible says that Jesus had set her free from the oppression of seven demonic spirits which may just be the Bible's way of saying, because seven is a symbolic number of wholeness, that her life was completely dominated by the dark, chaotic forces of evil. And Jesus, Jesus set her free. And from that moment on, she committed That Jesus would be her master, the one who gave her the instructions that she would follow for her life. Jesus would be her teacher, the one who explained to her what life is really all about, how to see the world. He would become, she would become his follower. In fact, more than that, she would become his financier. She too came from a family that had money the Bible says that she with a few others funded his public ministry that's how much she believed in Jesus and in his ministry and in his message that through him the kingdom of God was coming and in time he became not just Lord and Rabbi and rescuer he became friend but here she is on the Sunday morning, leaving her house before the crack of dawn while it's still dark and her whole world has caved in on her. Her master, her rabbi, her rescuer, her teacher and friend is gone. And with him are are gone are the hopes for the coming of the kingdom of God that through him God would break into this dark and chaotic world under the force of evil and do for the world what Jesus had done for her and that is set her free and fill the world with light and life and hope and healing and peace and love. And on that Sunday, standing outside the tomb or approaching the tomb while it was still dark, all of that was lost. It says that, if you read the rest of verse 1, that it was early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, and Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. For Mary, arriving at the tomb while it was still dark, all of a sudden things go from bad to worse, because she shows up at the tomb, and that stone, this large stone disk that would roll along a track over over the mouth of the cave tomb in which Jesus had been laid, that stone had been moved. And Mary started to panic. Wondering whether one of the gardeners maybe had gone into the tomb. Knowing that this wasn't Jesus' tomb. That this wasn't the, the family tomb where Jesus' dad had been buried. Knowing that Jesus would one day have to be moved. Maybe the gardener had gone in and had moved the body to make other arrangements. And now she didn't even know where it was. Or maybe worse. Grave robbers. Grave robbers which in that time in Israel was such a common threat that a couple years later, Emperor Claudius had to issue an edict that said anybody found moving a stone, destroying or defacing a tomb, stealing, removing contents, including a body from a tomb, would be subject to death. I mean, the embalming spices were worth some cash, never mind any personal effects that may have been buried with the deceased But even darker than that, those who practiced witchcraft were always in the market for corpses to use for their spells. Especially those of people who had died violent deaths. The worst possible thing a Jew could imagine for their deceased loved ones is that their being laid to rest, their tomb would be desecrated and their body removed. And here's Mary in this place of absolute darkness and things just keep going from bad to worse and there's some people in our community at all of our locations this morning who know exactly how Mary feels. Because you've been living in a dark period where things just feel like they keep going from bad to worse whether that's health darkness and the diagnosis was bad, but the prognosis is worse. Or maybe it's marital darkness, where things just keep getting uglier and uglier and you just don't know how much longer you can last. Or maybe it's family darkness where you're battling infertility or your kids are going off the rails or you've got siblings who are making your life chaotic, making it hell. Maybe it's business darkness and you don't know how many more months your business can keep its nose above water or how many more months they're going to let you keep sitting at your desk. Maybe it's financial darkness you just can't see the light anymore at the end of the tunnel maybe it's some kind of internal darkness it's loneliness or bitterness or shame or depression that just won't lift it's anger you can't control or lust you can't contain or it's you know the lies that just keep on coming or it's the pettiness that keeps hurting the people you love it's the greed and the gluttony or the envy and the ego the mouth you just can't shut it's the negativity you can't turn off it's the addiction you can't beat it's the workaholism the perfectionism the people pleasing the guilt that you can't shake whatever it is you're living in this dark season and things just keep going from bad to worse and you wonder when there will be an end to it all that's where mary was When she showed up at that tomb early in the morning while it was still dark on the first day of the week. And she was so much in this place. And maybe you've been there too. She was so much in this place that she could no longer even see her circumstances for what they really were. She saw what was going on around her. But she could no longer really see what was happening. She shows up at the tomb. And she sees that the stone has been moved. But what she missed was more significant than what she saw because what she saw was the stone had been moved. What she missed was the significance of the fact that the stone hadn't just been moved, it had been removed. That's the word that John uses. It's not like somebody had just rolled the stone off to the side. The word means that somebody had lifted the stone up and carried it away. Somebody had removed the stone from its track and thrown it off to the side. I can imagine a grave robber in haste rolling a stone off to the side, the group of them working together. What I can imagine is them taking the time to lift it out of the track and throw it off to to the side something more significant had happened here someone bigger had moved that stone mary bent down and looked into the tomb she knew the body was missing that's why she went to tell the disciples she looked into the tomb and she saw the missing body but she missed the significance of the grave clothes that were still present I mean, think about it. A grave robber's busting into tomb, rolling the stone to the side, gonna grab the body and anything else that's lying around and make off in the dead of night. What kind of grave robber is gonna stop in that moment and quickly undress the body and then neatly fold the linens and leave them lying on the shelf where the body had laid as though the impulse was to clean up a little bit before you were done. But that's exactly what had happened. It wasn't that the body had been taken, it's that the suit was pressed and lying there, and the body was gone. Something bigger had happened than the body just having been removed. In verse 11, John says this, he says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. Mary looks into the tomb and she sees two guys sitting there and she misses the significance of the fact that these guys are angels. I mean, first of all, she's already looked into the tomb once and those guys weren't sitting there and now she looks in again and suddenly they're there and never stops to ask the question, what on earth are two dudes in pristine white suits sitting, taking a coffee break inside the cave tomb where Jesus' body had been laying last night? I mean, what on earth is, it's an odd place for a coffee break is all. That's what I'm saying. But John knows they're angels. Mary couldn't see it. So caught up in the darkness of her pain and her grief and her hurt, she couldn't see the reality of what was actually happening all around her. And then in verse 14, not only could she not see reality for what it was, she couldn't see Jesus for who he was says in John 20, 14, at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. She saw Jesus. She just missed the fact that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. (laughs) She sees this guy standing there and she turns around to ask him information, thinking that this guy might just know where Jesus is. And completely misses the fact that this is Jesus that she's talking to that the person and the power and the presence that she needed more than anything else in the world right at that moment in her life was far closer than she could have ever possibly imagined. She missed the fact that she was not alone. That she was not on her own. That all was not lost. That maybe it was while it was still dark. But the dawn was coming. And there he was. The language John uses to tell this story. Right from the beginning. Early in the first day of the week while it was still dark. Day. Weak, dark, all language that comes out of the creation story in Genesis chapter 1. All language to describe the world in all of its darkness and chaos and turmoil in the moments right up to when God spoke spoke and said, let there be light and overwhelm the darkness and the chaos and the destruction and death with light and life and hope and peace and joy and abundance and love and beauty. The world was dark the moment before God overwhelmed it with his light and life. It was John's way of saying that when Jesus on Easter Sunday morning blew the stone right out of its track and got up and walked out of the grave, leaving the grave clothes behind because he didn't need them anymore, when he walked out of the grave, that what was happening in that moment was that creation was happening all over again. He was recreating the world. It was like God was starting all over again and overwhelming the darkness and confusion and chaos and turmoil of the world the way we know it. He was overwhelming it with his light and life and peace and joy and beauty, and he was doing it through Jesus. See, Mary thinks that Jesus is the gardener. And to a certain degree, he is. See, back in the creation story, God created a garden called Eden and created a man that he put in the garden. And he said, you have authority over all creation and it is your job to fill the world with my providential love to make this a place of light and life and peace. Which, of course, we as humanity didn't. So God sent another gardener, another Adam, another person whose responsibility would be in authority and power to fill the world with light and life and peace. And the moment Jesus walks out of the grave on Easter Sunday morning is the moment that Jesus is triumphant over all of the darkness and chaos of the forces of evil that have its grip on the world. Mary at that moment believed that her hope for the kingdom of God was done and Jesus' presence with her in the garden as the gardener is testimony that her hope for the kingdom of God has just begun. That from this moment on because of the resurrection of Easter Sunday this world of darkness and chaos and turmoil is becoming a place of light and life and peace. Not just in creation in the world but in our lives in us, and that's what we're celebrating this morning, not just in the worship of Easter, but in the baptism and stories of six people across our three locations who are discovering in following Jesus Christ, in discovering who he really is and what he wants to do in their life, who are discovering the light and life and peace and joy and beauty and abundance that Jesus is filling their lives with. And I want you to hear real stories of people who were stumbling around in the dark until God spoke in the resurrection and said, let there be light. Check out these stories.